Greetings. I'm Cynthia Jackson Hammond, president of CHIA. Thank you for joining the Council for Higher Education Accreditation's second webinar in the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion series. CHIA is most committed to assisting accreditors, higher education institutions, governing boards, and other stakeholders better understand the relevance and impact the DEI constructs have on student success. It is important that we all begin to develop a commitment and intentionality to the full compass of DEI and invest the necessary time, resources, and energy in understanding its value to quality assurance. Today, we are pleased to have an outstanding contributor who has begun those efforts. Dr. Sunny Ramaswamy is an agricultural scientist by discipline, but also serves as president and CEO of Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities. NWCCU accredits institutions in the seven state Northwest region of Alaska, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. The commission also recognizes higher education institutions in Canada. Dr. Ramaswamy was one of the first commissioners that positioned its organization's DEI values by developing propositions that relate ethics and DEI as integrated connections. I also would mention that an NWCCU's email tagline, there's a powerful statement of appreciation given to the many indigenous people in the traditional homelands where the Office of Northwest Commission is located. Today, we have over 300 registrants, and we hope that you find this webinar informative and engaging. The moderator for the webinar is Mr. Jahan Colbert. Questions and comments may be posted, and Jahan will try to offer your questions to Dr. Ramaswamy. Jahan and Sunny, the webinar is yours. Thank you so much, and welcome, everyone. Um, we're going to just jump right in. So, Sunny, um, thank you so much for being here. Um, I always enjoy our, our conversations, and I'm sure our audience is going to uh, enjoy it as well. Um, but I, I'm going to open the floor up to you for your opening comments, sir. So, Jahan, uh, uh, thank you so much. And, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Hammond as well, Cynthia Jackson Hammond. And Cynthia, thank you so much for this, uh, your kind introduction and how you frame the conversation as well. And certainly I want to thank uh, Joelle and Ashley and others in the background that are helping with this. And so it's, it's my pleasure and my privilege uh, to be here to engage in this uh, conversation about a really critically important uh, topic, you know, about uh, diversity and equity and inclusion, belonging and social justice. These are things that are, you know, thrown around easily, but what does it mean really? And how should we be thinking as, as educators? So John, thank you so much for having me here. I look forward to this conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so let's jump right in with, um, uh, talk about your statement um, that, um, uh, uh, that you guys have, have put out. It's, it's relatively new, I, I believe. You kind of revamped it. Um, so my question is, why does the NWCCU present ethics and DEI statements at this time? 
Yeah, thank you so much, uh, John. I appreciate that uh, question. And yeah, you know, we've been uh, thinking of uh, these issues related to ethics and, and diversity and equity and inclusion now for quite some time. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, back in uh, uh, 2018, when I first came on board, we started thinking of, uh, we, we had by, of, of requirement by the Department of Education, once every five years, all of us accreditors have to go through a process to review and revise our standards. And we started doing that process at that time. And what came up loud and clear from our member institutions, and we have uh, well over 160 institutions in, in our membership, what came up loud and clear and by our members as well as across, from across America was this need to focus on issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that came up and that got incorporated as we went through the conversations. We held a, a series of uh, town hall conversations and, and undertook surveys, both formal and informal surveys. We went across our region. We engaged in conversations with uh, folks from, from across the United States of America. And, uh, and, and came up with our what we refer to our, as our 2020 standards uh, for accreditation and eligibility requirements. And they were deployed, and it took a, almost a two-year process to go through that. Iteratively, got to a better spot, you know, starting back in late 2017. And then in 2019, it was voted upon overwhelmingly by our membership and, uh, you know, uh, it was a phenomenal response. And then it was deployed uh, as of January of 2020. So it's been in existence for you know, well over two years now already. That's operational at this time. <clears throat> and it very clearly, we speak to this idea of closing equity gaps. And then that needs to be done uh, based on data and evidence, right? Disaggregated data. We require our institutions to provide disaggregated data. That's one part of it. The other part of it is, as you stated, is this this effort on our part to create what we refer to us uh, refer to as our ethics and diversity, equity, and inclusion statement. And this particular statement is a it's a composite statement, one pager, that we articulated, went through a process of again thinking very deep uh, thinking, and then our commissioners, by the way, endorsed it here very recently, uh, and is now operational. It's it's a statement that we made. And uh, I've asked, been asked this question, why this connection between ethics and uh, DEI statement and things like that as well? And, and Jahan, you don't know this, but I'm a big fan of the dictionary. And uh, it's one of my favorite books to read, by the way. I'm, you know, always pick up the dictionary. You know, I still have a big fat dictionary and I pick it up and, and look at it, leaf through it, look at these words and things like that. I also do, you know, crossword puzzles and things like that. So I love words. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, one of the first things that I do in any word when I think about it is I think of the dictionary meaning of it. And just as a reminder to you and our listeners as well, is the word ethics, very simply, what does that mean per the dictionary? It very simply refers to the moral principles that govern a person's behavior or conduct. Okay, that's the first thing to, uh, to bear in mind. So if you and I, subscribe to the idea of being ethical, then, you know, that is the moral principles that underlie everything that we do. Then morality requires us, humanity requires us, that we must take on and address these, these disparities that we see across the United States of America. And these disparities, what we talk about, the diversity that we've got, and offering, you know, equitable opportunities to everybody. 
and then creating an environment in which everybody feels that they're included, they see themselves, they belong, and then we do everything we can to address these issues of social justice as well. So when we talk about our ethics and DEI statement, inherent in it is multiple components. One is the moral principles underpinning all of this, and then the morality and the humanity of needing to address these disparities that we've got, create an environment in which everybody feels like they belong. And then we're doing everything we can to address these you know, social injustices that we've got uh, in, in our society as well. Mm -hmm. Sonny, um, it's interesting. Do you, what changes within your organization um, have taken place since, since the, new, the new statement? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I just talked about how, you know, for us, DEI, you know, very simply, this uh, just a, an acronym, right? Diversity, equity and inclusion, but inherent in it is multiple different components to it. And uh, again, I want to emphasize those different components. You know, it is the diversity, the equity aspects of it, the inclusion aspects of it, the belonging aspects of it and social justice. They're all inherent in it. And uh, so we have incorporated that into our thinking and, and it's part of our DNA. I like to remind ourselves, uh, myself and my colleagues, it needs to be part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so it is also reflected, in, as I stated earlier, just a, you know, a few minutes ago, is in our vision. The vision that we articulated is that the Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities promotes student success and closes equity gaps. That's a really important consideration as well, that you don't leave these two things out, you know, one hanging by itself, but really they're all together and that's what we talk about as well. And as I shared earlier as well, we also see disaggregated data. So we look for evidence. Our institutions must demonstrably show that they're making progress, that the needle is actually moving as well. And so we started doing this. This is not something new for us here that just started here in the last few weeks or months or whatever. And, you know, a tip of my hat to uh, Chia as well for articulating the sense of the importance of DEI in what we do in our standards and things like that. But we've been at it now for some time, as, as uh, Cynthia said in her introductory comments as well. The Northwest Commission came out of the shoot first to be able to do it. So it really is part of who we are. It's part of our DNA as well. And in addition to that, we promote uh, both internal and external efforts. We offer robust education and workshop and training and provide resources and things like that uh, on our website as well. And one of the things that we're doing uh, with the support of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, we have embarked on taking a deep dive both with our institutional partners, as well as internally our staff. We're a very small staff. We're just over a dozen of us as staff. And we're going through this conversations and, and thinking as well. We've sought the help of uh, um, you know, an individual, a young man named uh, David Wallace, who's helping us think of these things as well, about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In our own thinking as well, what do we do? as individuals, and how do we manifest that in all the work that we do, whether it's internally with our colleagues, with our commissioners, with our evaluators, with our accreditation liaison officers, or with our institutions as well. Um, it, does NWCCU have expectations for a new DEI standard as it relates to the institutions uh, that, that are under you? 
Yeah, right. This is uh, uh, really it, it stems from uh, what uh, Chia uh, articulated here just a, you know a few months ago, as as you know, Jahan. Uh, and uh, so, as I've said, you know, we've already been focused on efforts related to diversity and equity and inclusion, and and we look at those components very you know very carefully, very thoughtfully. And as I said, it incorporates into it these issues related to social justice and the inequities that we see across the United States and the disparities that we've seen. And you know, what you and I have seen, particularly here with the uh, during the pandemic, these disparities that we saw only were exacerbated. And then what happened across the United States of America is, is this sort of a, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that people were killed, you know, individuals such as George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others. That was the, sort of the tipping point for us to, you know, really think collectively as a nation as to what we need to be doing in regards to these ideas of these disparities that we need to address, absent which we're not going to make the progress that we're going to be you know have to make and so as i said our the northeast commission really has been at it now for uh, you know well over a couple of years already in thinking of these issues related to diversity and equity and inclusion that is uh, in our you know uh, reflected in our vision statement it's reflected in our um, uh, standards uh, and and even in our requirements we incorporate that sort of a narrative about the requirement for these disaggregated data. We got to define it. You know, John, I want to share this with you. One of my all-time favorite uh, statisticians jokes uh, that I want to share with you and, and the listeners. You know, when we look at averages, and that's what we do across America, right? We say that uh, University X or College Y is graduating, let's say, 50% of the students or 90% of the students, okay? There are some top-notch institutions that graduate 90% of the students. And, but then when you dig a little deeper, you'll see that students that come from underserved communities, disadvantaged communities and such, they have significantly lower outcomes, mm -hmm. right? So the statisticians joke, right? And, and the joke is that, uh, you know, my head is in the oven, my feet are in the freezer, on average, I'm okay, right? That's what it is. Averages only tell you that. But you know your head is in the, the freezer and your feet are in the oven and you know you're you know freezing on one side and and burning uh, on the other side on average you're feeling okay and, and we don't want to do that we want to get away from these averages and er, therefore we require this disaggregation of the data itself and that's what allows us to you know uh, i've written about this as well if you cannot measure you cannot make progress you've got to measure incidentally this is required in law, the United States government, the United States Department of Education, the United States Department of Justice, many of our state legislatures, not many, all of our state legislatures, they all require that we must pay attention to issues related to equity and diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do that. That we got to provide the equitable opportunities for everybody. And so with that being the case, there's a, there's a, a legislative mandate right? A regulatory mandate. And then I talked about the humanity and the, uh, and the morality of needing to do these things as well. And that's how we do this. We bring these efforts all together, not just saying that it's some mandate coming from the United States government that tells us to do this, but rather it's a bottom-up approach that incumbent on all of us to demonstrate. It comes from our heart 
as well as it comes from our heads, that we absolutely got to do it. So incorporating this idea of morality and humanity to everything that we do. One of my favorite things that I do, and as I speak and all that, I talk about, you know, uh, the hallmark humanity in, in practically every organized religion across the globe. Right. We have a phraseology not too dissimilar to what is referred to in English amongst you know, Christians, for example, in the Judeo-Christian tradition is I'm my brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. If I am my brother's keeper, then what is incumbent on me to ensure that I take care of that brother or that sister that needs help? Right. And that's what when I talk about the morality of it, the ethics aspects of it, the moral principles that are underlying these things, that's what I'm referring to as well. Yeah. Sonny, do you think, you know, a lot of people ask me, um, what exactly is DEI? So do you find that you come across people that really are just unsure about it and uncertain about it? And then my second question is, um, once they start understanding it, what can they do within their organization or institutions to help start making a change? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a, what a fantastic question. And I think, you know, uh, all of us should take the time to think about this. And, uh, uh, you know, DEI is shorthand. It's an acronym for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we can, we can parrot it. DEI, I'm mm-hmm. for DEI and things like that. But there's more to it than just those three terms. And as I said, uh, you know, earlier, it is the, the moral principles, it is the humanity of us as, as human beings compared with other organisms, right? And, uh, and then there is the legislative, the reg- regulatory, all these requirements, leave aside all of them. And I talked as, a, as well about uh, the events of uh, 2020, uh, that really was the tipping point for America. And then we've got the events of the latter part of 2021 and 2022, particularly in several states across America, where there is this uh, uh, negative pushback against DI efforts as well. You know, we see this in several states across the United States of America. And so this is all happening. I mean, we throw these terms like CRT, critical race theory, and there's, as there's something wrong with these sorts of efforts that we need to have. Again, Think of the, the morality of it, the think of the humanity of it. How, how can we make a difference? You know, how can I be my brother's keeper if I'm going to do these things referring to DEI? So give a little bit more uh, information of what does DEI stand for, the way we approach. And I think in, in general, this is agreed upon across, you know, across the United States, in fact, across the globe for, for that matter. I've talked to colleagues of mine uh, from Europe and uh, European and other countries as well, and they all incorporate these sorts of, you know, uh, narratives into it too. The word diversity, very, very simply, what does diversity mean? It's not just, uh, you know, uh, some people may say these things, uh, like I said, you know, my favorite thing to do is to go to the dictionary and start reading what these things mean and then take that into myself as well. And so it has certain uh, aspects to that word diversity. It really is the traits and characteristics that make people unique. Each one of us, you, me, Cynthia, Ashley, uh, Joelle, and all the folks that are online today, each one of us is a unique individual. We got to treat every one of us, that, that diversity that we've got, we got to uh, incorporate that into our thinking. And that's what it is, right? It is 
all aspects related to uh, race, ancestry, ethnicity, and all that, but also social, socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. We got to think of that too. I mean, think of, for example, uh, students that come from poor communities. They may, these may be Caucasian students or students of Hispanic descent or African-American descent or Native American descent or Asian descent, right? Mm-hmm. We all constitute this wide variety of types of individuals and really incumbent on us to think of that diversity that is there. Right? It's not just about race or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. No, it is really much more than that. That's the first word that we want to think of. The second word uh, is really you know, thinking of equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And oftentimes what ends up happening is people go ahead and uh, they kind of uh, uh, confuse and, and use interchangeably the words equality and the word equity. These are very, very distinct, two distinct, very distinct words that are important of diversity and inclusion. Equity, by the way, is concerned with justice and fairness of all the policies and practices that we've got, whether it is a government policy or a policy that uh, we have as the Northwest Commission or a policy that an institution, uh, an academic institution, one of my member institutions has uh, in its policies. So you want to make sure that it is, it provides that sort of justice and fairness in all of those policies. Where that lens as you develop those policies. That's the equity. That's the word equity. In contrast, the word equality refers to the resources and opportunities that need to be afforded all, capital A, capital L, capital of all people. Not any one of us is any better than anybody. Everybody needs to be afforded that opportunity. You know, it is whether it's the socioeconomic status or your ethnicity or your gender or whatever else that you've got as well. Now, along with that is the word inclusion. And what we do, uh, and, and thanks to Tia McNair, uh, who served uh, as an advisor to us, continues to do so, and she provided and reminded us, it's not just the fact that it is inclusion, but you also create this idea of belonging Mm-hmm. Now you can say, I got these DI principles. Y'all come. No, that's not enough. You got to create the sense that you belong there. When I go there, when I go into a classroom, I see people that look like me. When a professor stands up and teaches, I see that I belong in that particular classroom. I may look different from you, but I still, still want to create, must create this environment in which you feel like you belong there. So these inclusion and belonging, these two terms, they refer to the behaviors and social norms that ensure people feel welcome and are appreciated and valued as part of the community that they're part of. Mm-hmm. And then the last part that I've referred to several times, you've heard me, Johan, already, is about social justice itself. When we think of DEI and all that, we don't incorporate into this idea, this idea of belonging, which, as I said, thanks to a tip of my hand to Tia McNair. And along with that, of course, is social justice itself. Mm-hmm. And this idea of social justice is really about affording everyone equal economic, political, and social rights and opportunities. So when you think of that context, the entirety of what this means about ethics and diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, social justice, and all that, again, I want to you know uh, uh, repeat and reiterate the idea that there's a morality to it, and there is a humanity to these efforts as well. That's how we want to do these kinds of things. Absolutely. So once a person 
fully grasp <clears throat> that and, and understand it. And, and, and listen, thank you so much for, for, for that answer. Um, and I do want to encourage folks, and we'll put it in the chat room, um, uh, the standard, your 2020 standard, we'll, we'll post that. And, and I encourage everyone to make sure that you read that. Um, if, if you kind of forget some of the things, it's a good reference to, uh, to take a look at. Um, but once someone understands all that, what do you think the next steps are within an organization? Um, as an example, what did you all do to come up with 2020? How did you pull the minds of other people and, and the experiences that they have to put together your, your new set of standards? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the, you said the, it was two years in the making, so I'm sure yeah. it was, you yeah. know, well thought out and planned. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, we have a, a phenomenal bunch of uh, colleagues, staff, and we're, I like to say that we're a lean, mean fighting machine, and <laughs> we have a, a small group of us, and then we've got the most amazing commissioners. And our commit, I mean, it's really critically important that your commissioners are supportive of all the efforts that you undertake as well. And then along with that, of course, are the institutions. And, and the way this whole thing flows for us and the way it flowed for us, you know, as I said to you back, starting back late 2017 through 2018, through 2019, when it was all voted upon by our members and all that, we, we articulated the idea going back uh, then as we went around, my colleagues and I went around our region and for that matter, around the United States as well, <clears throat> engaging in conversations, undertaking surveys and things like that. We framed the conversation around the words student success and framed the word around this idea of closing equity. gaps. We started with student success and then we started hearing from our <clears throat> our colleagues from across the, uh, the region as well as from across the United States and in conversations that we had with our, uh, our commissioners, with our accreditation liaison officers, with our evaluators and such. And all of this, you know, it, it kind of uh, shined the, the, the spotlight on this idea of creating efforts to incorporate uh, uh, approaches to address equity. And, and I used to go around in those days, John, you've been around long enough, uh, and you remember the 1992 elections when uh, Bill Clinton was running and he created a phrase that was like on everybody's uh, tongue, you know, a uh, catchphrase called this, the economy stupid. And uh, what uh, I, I started doing was to, you know, take that phrase and then rephrase it a tad bit and ca started calling it, is the students stupid? So everything needs to flow from the students. That's the be all end all. That's the, the raison d'etre of why our institutions are there, the raison d'etre of who, you know, why the commissions are, the, the accrediting commissions are there as well. And so when you take all that into account, we went through this process, this iterativeness, and we heard from our, our member institutions and others represented. I mean, we got data from literally, I kid you not, thousands of people or groups representing hundreds and hundreds of people as well. We got all of that input and we met with groups, we met with uh, faculty groups, we met with unions, uh, union representatives and uh, with administrators and others and, and took all this input and our staff went through it, sorted it all and came up with the standards that we've got. Again, you know, all that it culminated well over two years in a vote and overwhelming vote. Uh, well over 98% of the members voted, right? There's this buy-in mm -hmm. on what this is all about. 
And so that buy-in was critically important. The reason that it was not 100% was because just a handful, like literally three institutions, two uh, abstained for whatever reason, and one misinterpreted the statement and, and voted no. And so really it was overwhelming uh, uh, that uh, response that we got. And there was this buy-in. And so if you go across our membership, and you query our members now, they're really bought into it. That's a really important aspect of it, right? If you want to sustain this effort over the long term, it's not just somebody coming in and saying, thou shalt, mm -hmm. thou shalt, you and I know will never work. Because as soon as the one that is articulating the thou leaves, it's gone. <clears throat> yeah. You want this bottom-up approach. And that's a really important aspect of that buy-in that needs uh, is needed as well. And again, you know, it, it, we have what we've focused our, our efforts on is really is to for people to think of why should we do this? What's important? And, you know, earlier I, you know, I, I talked about uh, th there's the statutory, there's the economic and moral imperative to doing these things. Right. To remind our uh, listeners, it is enshrined in state and federal laws and regulations. It's really important to think of. It is enshrined in the Department of uh, Education's regulations. And it's enshrined in our standards and eligibility requirements. People need to go ahead and, and incorporate that. And then I talked a little bit about the, uh, the hallmark of humanity. You know, by the way, I'm an atheist. I'm a scientist, okay? But I still read all the, the religious texts and things like that. And we see this, this theme of this idea of my brother's keeper. What's incumbent upon us? And so we try to, what we try to do is to demonstrate the value of why you need to do this because it writes, yeah, all of that is there. There's no, but it's also something we got to do inherently. It's the, it's the humanity of who we are, the morality of who we are, mm -hmm. that we got to do these things as well. Okay. Uh, we've got some several questions. So um, uh, from Tim, <clears throat> do you hear from or see other accreditors focusing more on DEI? Um, and is this a topic of discussion at meetings? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, uh, I think, what has happened is, uh, uh, you know, going back to the sad events of 2020, uh, you know, and, and those events in, in many ways were a, uh, uh, a tipping point. Mm -hmm. and, and we've seen this not here in the, just in the United States. You know, the same conversation that started taking place here has happened in, in the UK and other places as well, the United Kingdom and other places as well. So the conversations that, you know, I engage in, you know, my colleagues, uh, the, the Council of Regional Accrediting Commissions, or we call ourselves uh, the formerly regional accreditors, now the institutional accreditors, uh, we talk, we have conversations about this. You know, all of us are focused. I mean, if you look at our standards collectively, if you look at our requirements collectively and the efforts that we're investing in, again, you know, disaggregating data, for example, you know, WASC or, uh, uh, you know, SACCOC or HLC. I mean, all of us, every one of the seven members, uh, CRAC members is really focused on these kinds of things. And so uh, we see this uh, a topic, and this is not only in the world of, what we're about, you know, accreditation and things like that. And this conversation, as you know, you may know, I'm a car, you know, I'm a card carrying entomologist and I'm an insect guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Entomological Society of America, for example, again, the trigger being 
the events that happened here in the last couple of years, and and also the the sort of the negative uh, pushback that's going on in some states across America. Uh, as a matter of fact, next week I am speaking at the American Chiropractic Association. This is a uh, you know has like maybe about seven or eight hundred uh, chiropractors from across America that are going to be in attendance in San Diego. And, and they asked me to speak to this whole idea about why it is that we need to care about the, uh, so it's not just within the world of education that we see this, but in other realms as well, including, as I said, uh, the chiropractics. Okay. Um, another question is, uh, we conduct an inventory review of social mission within health professions, accreditation standards, and identify variability across standards. Uh, we look at standards related to student diversity, faculty, diversity, leadership, diversity, um, and student training, faculty training, et cetera. Are there opportunities for accreditors to come to together to develop more standardized standards in social uh, justice and or social mission? Yeah. So, wow, what a fantastic question. And, you know, one of the things that I'll remind myself all the time and, and remind uh, uh, the others as well, you know, going back to federal regulations and things like that. So that we do have regs, then that's, that drives these kinds of things as well. And, uh, uh, and certainly conversations are really, really important that we should be, you know, uh, you know bringing these things together. And the, the efforts that have been supported by, uh, you know, Chia, for example, and others as well, um, you know, a number of the professional societies, as I said, the Entomological Society of America, and, and the world that I've lived in as a scientist, and Cynthia again introduced to me, said I worked as an agricultural scientist, and I worked for President Obama, uh, you know, in my former life, uh, and for, you know, uh, Trump as well in my former life. Uh, you know, I, so I've, I've been part of the, the various scientific societies, including the, uh, the American Association for the Advancement of Science and the American, uh, um, uh, you know, biological scientists and physiological scientists and plant pathologists and agronomists and social scientists, you know, sociology and, and economics and all these places. In all of these, there are these conversations that are taking place. And so I think working collaboratively and the opportunities that are afforded by organizations like GIA to convene Right, you have the sort of, of course, the gravitas and the opportunity to be able to convene all of us to come together to think of what might these, you know, standards be and things like that. Now, one of the approaches that we use, and I might, you know, remind everyone as well, is we don't want all of us to be lockstep in the same exact, you know, set of standards and things like that. We interpret, we you know, take the regs. That's where it all drive, is derived from. It is the United States Department of Education's regs that drive all these things because it's tied to mm -hmm. money, <clears throat> Pell Grants and things like that. And the way approach that we've taken, the Northwest Commission has taken, is not to be prescriptive. Rather, we create, articulate these, these sets of, uh, you know, standards and ideas. They're standards. They're aspirational, right? People need to aspire to get to a better place. And we also articulate the idea of continuous process improvement. Not everybody's got it all figured out right off the top. Even the best can get to a better spot as well. And so I think, you know, the conversations, and, and again, the, going back to the statement that uh, Chia released here just a few months ago, is really another 
you know, step in the right direction. And, you know, having these uh, summer conferences, these sorts of webinars, these conversations, and other conferences that Chia and the other organizations can help, you know, convene are really important as well. And that helps us come together in thinking of how might we be able to create standards that are similar, not the same, but similar. They have the, the, the underpinnings of specific uh, things that we need to be looking for. Mm. Okay. Uh, another question. Our AABI definition of equity is equity seeks to ensure just treatment, equality of opportunity, and fairness and access to information and resources, resources for all persons. Uh, question to you, are we mixing your distinctive definitions of equity and equality? Well, <laughs> you know, y'all uh, are the, the, the experts on what is relevant to you in your lived reality, okay? And as I said, as I, you know, as I was responding to one of your earlier questions, as I said, oftentimes we, uh, you know, kind of uh, conflate the words equity and equality. Mm -hmm. There are distinct difference, differences between those words. You can incorporate the elements of each of those into how you craft uh, a vision and a path forward as well. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong or right or whatever, but I think it needs to be related to your particular lived reality. And, and that's what I'd encourage you to do and think of these things. And we want to be able to go ahead and distinguish between these terms that we've got. And, and you know, social justice is something that has become much more of uh, uh, an effort that is being incorporated into these DEI efforts as well. We didn't used to pay attention to that. And as I said, Tia McNair reminded us that incorporate this information, this issue related to um, belonging. One other thing I want to share with the group as well that I just, just remembered because Tia was very instrumental in helping us do this. Also, Tim Rennick uh, from Georgia State University. Some of you know Tim as well. And uh, we had these two different councils that we created. And what we're doing right now have created a fellowship, an educational programming uh, approach. And, and my colleague, uh, Dr. Jess Stahl, is, you know, managing this effort. And uh, I think she's going to get upset with me that I'm, you know, in quotes, advertising. She's already full up on it already. The deadline has already passed. But the idea is to look at you know, we talked about data-informed approaches to making sure that the needle is moving. So she's created, in partnership with uh, SACS, COC, Southern Association uh, colleagues, created this uh, fellowship called the Data Equity Fellowship. There's also inequitabilities in whether we can collect the data and how best to use those data. I mean, there's a whole slew of things that we've got in America. And uh, so we're taking some baby steps about these various types of uh, workshops and educational programming and things like that as well. So going back to the simple question, AABIs, you know, really, it's your effort and you got to think of your live reality and incorporate the appropriate elements into how you define and how do you identify your efforts related to DEI. Okay. Uh, <laughs> another question. Can you provide an example of a standard that was adopted our organization is drafting standards similar to those adopted by uh, ACGME, in which we ask our member sites to tell us what they are doing in regards to DEI activities, recruitment, admissions, retention. But we keep getting asked, how will a site know if they are compliant or not? 
How will our evaluators be able to assess if their activities meet the standard, et cetera? Any guidance here would be appreciated. <clears throat> yeah. So, so what? <laughs> it's an interesting, you know, really wonderful question. And as I said earlier, you know, if we look at our uh, the uh, members of uh, CRAC, and that's the one that I know most of. Okay. And if we look at our standards, how we do what we do, how we um, you know, require uh, disaggregated data submission and things like that. Again, all driven by the federal government uh, regs and things like that. You know, iPads uh, collects these data as well. So we incorporate uh, these, and, and that's the approach that we use it in promoting efforts related to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, social justice, belonging, et cetera, in our institutions as well. And so, you know, one of the things is, you know, that, that I'd encourage, uh, so it's not a one and done. The approach, and we're, we're constantly evolving society. And so we adhere to this principle of continuous process improvement. You know, you can't ever say, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I've dealt with all the inequities. I've done, dealt with all the, uh, the injustices that I've got. No, it's never going to happen because as long as you and I, as humans, are involved in this, we're always going to have issues related to. Inequities, in, in, in part because, you know, as new people come along, there's new things that are going on as well. And each one of us brings this, this multiplicity of ideas and thoughts and approaches and things like that. Just case in point, look at the negative feedback against this idea of diversity, equity and inclusion. And, and then suddenly, you know, people, uh, you know, in certain parts of America conflated this whole thing about total misrepresentation misunderstanding of what critical race theory is all about and and that that we've got in the in the United States of America we've got inherent in it this this challenges that we see that are in the place in the in 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 front of people it, and it's not just african americans it's not just about uh, hispanics or native americans remember it is all people including poor people the socioeconomic status as well. And so the approach that we use is it is constantly moving type of an approach. And that's what we you know, have done in our case. And I know in, in talking with my uh, colleagues, my cohorts, the presidents of, of the other uh, uh, formerly regional accrediting commissions, we have very, very similar approaches in how we you know, address these issues as well. So I'd say focus on continuous process improvement. It's not a one and done. Never is going to be a one and done. We're always, there's always more work to be done. And we need to continually aspire to getting to be better and better and better. And again, aspiring to that idea of morality and humanity that I referred to earlier. Okay. Um, why discuss both inclusion and belonging? I can do material things to ensure people are included, but I can't control how people feel belonging. Why is it important to include something I can't control or measure? Yeah, well, so it's like, uh, you know, the, the adage that we have, again, you know, wonderful question. And, you know, you think a lot. And, and that's really important. We got to think. And it's not like, you know, there's one approach to all the situations that we've got. In our particular case, we incorporated this idea of belonging. Again, you know, we've had lots of conversations with our colleagues. And, and as I said, people like Tia McNair and the others helped us sort of think this a little bit more carefully and more thoughtfully as well. And you're correct, right? Inclusion to us means that uh, you create this environment where everybody feels included. 
And the old adage about uh, uh, build and they shall come, mm. right? If you created this idea that, okay, you know what? My institution, my university, my college, I as an accreditor, et cetera, I've created an environment where it's all, you know, inclusive. Okay, but are there, is there a lens that you've worn from the perspective of that other individual that wants to come into your institution mm. that feels like they belong? Right. I'm going to go ahead and put this statement on saying, you know, we're adhering to <clears throat> diversity, equity, inclusion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But are we actually making the appropriate sort of uh, an environment in which people feel like they belong? It's not just the fact that it's been built, therefore I shall go, but we make the efforts. You know, we talk about uh, accessibility. We talk about affordability. And, you know, all these other things that are there as well in, when we talk about students and, and student success and things like that. It's not just enough that we offer all the courses, but we make sure that those courses are offered at a time and place that every student from whatever background is able to get into it. You know, I, I also share with people that what the pandemic has shown is that it is really has helped us democratize education, mm -hmm. whoever it is, wherever they are, democratize. And yet... At the same time, it also created, exacerbated the, the, the disparities that we've got as well. So it's not enough for me to say, I'm going to offer you these courses online or whatever, but I got to make sure that I'm going to you know, create an environment in which uh, people, you know, they, they feel like they, they belong in there as well. So I think that's the way I, I frame it. it. It's never one and done. It's always a path forward. And that people feel, although you build, you also create the sort of the environment in which people not only see themselves, but actually like, I want to go there. This is a great, you know, yeah. uh, entity yeah. that I want to belong to as well. That's that's the sort of the distinction between the inclusion part of it and the belonging part of it. Yeah, so Sonny, you, you've spoken a lot, you've mentioned a lot about student success. So how exactly will student success be strengthened by DEI initiatives? Yeah, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> What a, what a fantastic question, right? And it's not enough that we, you know, create these principles and we put it on our institutional website saying we're all adhering to DEI, this is what we're going to do. Uh, no, you know, it's also demonstrably you're going to have to show that, uh, that our efforts are strengthened with our DEI efforts. And so, uh, you know, the approach that we in, end up doing, uh, using in our situation is really the idea of using evidence and data to inform the, the approaches that we're taking. It's also continuous process improvement. It's not, a, again, it's not a one and done. We, we got this set up. And what I like to remind ourselves is that these are dynamic living, breathing efforts. That it's not like, you know, for the next five years, you know, how, you know how, John, mm -hmm. uh, you've been around long enough, you know, we all create these strategic plans, you know, oh, our strategic plan is going to have DEI in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, we're going to keep this going for five years from 2022 to 2027. We'll call it the 2027 whatever strategic plan. Then most people don't even look at it. And then there may be some people in institutional research or in the provost office or someplace that I said, okay, you will take care of this and, and put together some metrics and all that. And then, you know, we're gonna make these presentations and all that. But do you, have you really 
taking it in, incorporated into who you are? Are you really offering the training and education? So it's not enough to articulate a statement for an institution. They got to, you know, not, not all of us understand this. You know, in, in uh, Cynthia's introduction, she pointed to that in my emails and in my colleagues' emails, we have the land acknowledgement that we've incorporated. Mm. Right? We put the land acknowledgement in there, not because it you know feels good or whatever or things like that, but it really is that's something that we're acknowledging. Mm. But we're not going to tell you to do it. It's us. Us as the Northwest Commission. We want to acknowledge the people that have this land that I'm looking at my window here, out of my you know, bedroom window where I'm sitting here today. And uh, so <clears throat> going to this, this question of what do you do? So you have to help understand, you know, many institutions, as you've seen, you've seen articles in the Chronicle and other places as well here in the recent past, John, where there's been this, again, negative pushback against these land acknowledgements or pushback against DEI efforts, pushback against uh, saying that we're going to provide scholarships to students that come from underserved communities. This pushback against admissions uh, policies at various institutions. We're seeing cases being heard uh, at the Supreme Court of the United States as well. We're seeing all of these things. And so we got to do everything we can to help bring our faculty and staff and students, every, every member of our community, and not just those that are on campus, but our boards of trustees, our boards of regents, our communities, our alumni, our taxpayers. I mean, it's just a really a significant effort. Now, the presidents of universities and such, you know, they're, they've been tasked with the idea, go raise money and yada, yada, yada. And the provost is handling the, the academic uh, parts of the institution. But who's left to do all this training and education? You know, our presidents, our provosts, our leaders need to buy into this, say, this is something important to us. We're going to offer the education and training. We're going to bring in expertise to help us understand what this is all about. We're going to live it and breathe it. That's what we're going to do. And, and that's yeah. the idea behind this, how you go about getting this insinuated into. It's not enough to say you're going to do it, but you got to demonstrate that, that that insinuation will only occur if we offer the training and education and the workshops. And it's not a one and done again. It's a constant yeah. because you got turnover, turnover, turnover. We got to constantly stay on top of it. You know, Sonny, I think um, the hope is that one day we won't be having these conversations because we're just naturally doing what's right. Yeah, um, that's, that's the hope. But I, I tell you this, that's the hope. Right. But I'm not holding my breath because, you know, we're constantly, you know, we're being replaced. New people are coming along. Yeah, They're coming yeah, with new ideas. Yeah. They'll never, ever go away. I and mean, we should not. We should constantly be vigilant yeah. to this. Yeah, Sonny, um, you mentioned a lot of the pushback. Why do you think that that this pushback that you mentioned for equity and DI has emerged? I think in part because, you know, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase Pogo. I've seen the enemy and he is us. Mm. We're the enemy. You and me and, and Cynthia and all of us that are deeply, passionately interested in efforts related to creating an equitable, inclusive environment that people belong, you know, that's reflective of who we are. The yeah. approach that we used was a top-down, there's a mandate, folks, y'all are going to do it. Otherwise, we're going to come and kick your, you know what? Yeah. Right? We're going to threaten you. And that's the approach we ended up using. It should be a bottom-up approach. It's about that education. It's about demonstrating that value proposition. What's the value? And why should I do this? Who cares? 
you know, not enough to have a statement that is, you know, strung together and put on our website or whatever saying, okay, you know what, this is great. I did it. I got a statement. I'm patting myself on the back. But there's more to it than that. And I think in, in many, many states that we have failed miserably mm-hmm. in, in helping understand. And what has happened to in some quarters, in some communities across the United States of America, we saw some individuals preying on the insecurities of some people. And using that insecurity, because, you know, people see a person like me, I'm a foreign born person coming here, taking over the jobs that are, you know, the the God given right for individuals that have been here, in quotes, prior to my coming here. And these are the kinds of things that we've got. And so I think shame on us collectively for not engaging in the kind of conversations, the kind of education. I mean, you'd think that education is going to get us out of the morass of poverty, (laughs) get us out of these areas that we've got. And the irony of this is some of the individuals that are pushing back on these things, you look at their, in quotes, resumes. They're graduates of Stanford, of Princeton, of Yale, of Harvard. I mean, the top institutions in America. I don't get it. I mean, have they kind of forgotten this? Or is it just about politics? It's about getting, you know, elected and, you know, whatever, being in power. And that's, it's all part of that too. Mm-hmm. And so we got to do everything we can to continue to demonstrate the value proposition to everybody. And it's not just, you know, uh, my politics are, you know, left or right or whatever else there is, but really it's for all of us. There's a, there's a, there's a rationale for why we need to do this. There's a value in why we should do this. Because, you know, there are some societal costs and uh, significant societal costs. I mean, I refer to this as the social cost, the cost to society in it. And along with that is the opportunity cost. And, you know, economists, you know, in your, in your, amongst your listeners will know this. You know, when we talk about opportunity costs, we talk about the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. So if I choose this, I may lose something if I didn't choose this. How do I do that, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's something to incorporate, the social cost and the opportunity cost as well. And this is something that needs to drive it. It's not just some regulation or some federal law. The Department of Justice will come and, you know, beat up on you if you're not doing these things. No, that's there. It really, however, needs to come from the bottom up. And now you've got laws being passed in some states, maybe even at the federal government, that may dilute these efforts that we have taken now for all these decades. Just look at the, the laws that have been passed in the recent past that have diluted our Voting Rights Act. I mean, I'm getting into the politics of it now, too. You know, and I should not do that. I should just you know, back off a little bit. But it really is incumbent on us, all of us collectively, you and me and, and Cynthia and all of us collectively to help create this early education. That's what we focused on. As the Northwest Commission, we're focusing on education, on workshops, on training, and demonstrating that value proposition. Yeah. Sonny, um, we've got this one question, and then then I want to kind of turn it over to you to kind of wrap things up. We're almost out of time. But this question is, why do you, what do you say to those that suggest that promotion of this standard may compromise institutional autonomy or academic freedom? Uh, I, I don't get it. You mean the focus on diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah, I think that's what them? they are referring to, yeah. correct. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think these are mutually exclusive. 
academic freedom is not going to be impacted if we were to help you know, our faculty understand why focus on diversity, equity, inclusion is important. It's not a, what people hate is an institution saying, thou shalt land acknowledgement. Everybody line up and lockstep, you're gonna do this. Thou shalt, you will adhere to DEI principles and you sign a document and all that. That's the, the, the wrong approach to take. It really has to be that idea of the bottom-up approach and that there's a value proposition to this. And, you know, I mean, I've used the term morality and humanity. What's the humanity in us? Why am I my brother's keeper? Why should this be important? That's how I frame it, is really important to think of as well. And, and to me, it comes from my heart as well as it comes from my head. This idea of creating an equitable, equal environment in which everybody feels like they, uh, they belong and that they can achieve whatever goals they've got. Every one of us is a different goal. Our, our role is to help those individuals achieve those goals. Some of them are going to fail and we're going to try to help them, you know, get to a better spot as well. I mean, you know, that's, that's the approach to take. So it should not, it, it, these are not mutually exclusive. These are actually complementary. And you want to frame it from that perspective as well. There's a complementarity to how we go about doing these things without encroaching in this idea of mandates and we're going to take away your academic freedom and things like that. We don't need to be doing that. There are ways to do it. And there are some institutions that are doing it exquisitely well, but I know of too. Yeah. So Sonny, we've got about two minutes. Um, I, I want you to just please uh, give your closing remarks. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've had a good, I hope, uh, you know, our listeners uh, got a sense of where I come from, where the Northwest Commission comes from as well. I think the very first uh, question that was asked of me, Jahan, by you about why ethics and DEI statements together, what, what is it about that, you know, those two things coming together? And, and I talked about how uh, uh, the word ethics has the moral principles in it the morality of it, the humanity of everything that we do. And I want to leave uh, you know, our listeners with this one thought. If you subscribe to the idea of being ethical, and you know, anybody I go and ask on the street, they'll say, I'm ethical. I'm absolutely ethical, right? They'll say that. Fair enough, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if you have those moral principles, then does it not behoove you and me to consider issues related to these inequities that we see in society, the disparities that we see in society, what is incumbent on us to be able to bring that group of individuals that do not have those opportunities that you and I got afforded? How do we make that happen? That's something to incorporate, this idea of belonging and social justice and all that. Otherwise, the word being ethical, the word ethics and being ethical is empty and it becomes an oxymoron. That's what it tells me. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Sonny, I, um, I'm very grateful for the conversation, my friend. Um, I think this is a very important topic. It's, it's why Chia is doing what we're doing. Um, this is the uh, second in a series that we have on DEI. And we are very appreciative and grateful for your comments, for your um, initiatives and your leadership. So thank you so much for that. 
Um, and to the audience, um, we ask that you please tune in. We've got some future um, DEI webinars that are forthcoming, as well as some, some other webinars on Chia's website. You can visit and you can learn about more information that uh, some things that Chia is to offer. Um, in the chat, we also have listed the 2020 standards that Sunny has spoken about. Um, so please make sure you go and, and uh, take a look at that and use that as a reference for you. Um, we thank you again and thank you everyone for attending and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, John. Appreciate it very much. And, and Cynthia, again, thank you. My sincere thanks to you for inviting me to uh, part, uh, partake of this conversation. All right. Take care. Stay well. Thank right. you so much, Sonny. This was great.